This is Peter. And this is Tom. And you're listening to History Teachers Talking Podcasts. All right, this is Peter Sablaki and Thomas Reska, and welcome back to the podcast. Tom, this one has been a long time in the making, I guess. This is probably one of the topics that we've thrown back and forth. Originally. Well, yeah, yeah, originally, what we have to do this one, we're going to do this one. We've gotten emails about um, this about one. About doing this one. About doing yeah. this one. And it's an interesting topic. It's just how to tackle it because it's so broad and it's complex and we have to keep it within a certain um, time frame, really, because I remember teaching this, it, it, it can take a couple of days. Just going yes. over the content, going over the impact, and we'll try to do it the best we can. But we're going to be looking at kind of the timeline and the background and the consequences of the Watergate scandal. Yep. The political scandal by which all others since have been judged. Yes, yes. And I, we'll definitely get into that. You have that right. gate ends at everything. <laughs> that, that's yeah, everything. Gate, 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 this, gate, that. It's all reference to this. Yes, this is the granddaddy of them all. And, and what kind of what makes this the granddaddy of it all is because it was very difficult for people to take sides with Nixon at the end of this because the proof was so obvious. It was a smoking gun. That's where you got that term. That's where that term really became part of American culture, the smoking gun evidence, the smoking gun tapes. There's just no way to refute it. He was caught in a lie, and that was the end of it. Yeah, Republicans left him. Everyone left him. It was like, uh, you know, there was no way that they could have defended that, and that's kind of that ended Nixon. So let's talk about Watergate, and let's start. uh, I think the plan today is to kind of talk a little bit about Richard Nixon um, before Before Watergate, Watergate, and then give you give you guys a little summary about the entire event, more or less what happened. And then we'll kind of get into the specifics of this and and kind of try to tackle again, like like Tom said, this has, uh, you know, like a multitude of different layers, people getting fired, people quitting, people getting replaced. And this goes on for like a year with with the hearings. And Chris back even, you know, prior to that too, which we'll talk about, because if it really wasn't for the um, Pentagon Papers, which we get into a little bit, Watergate doesn't happen. It's the Pentagon Papers that starts all of this rolling and really starts all the paranoia that Nixon has too. Yep. Which is his downfall. So, yep. So first things first, uh, Richard Nixon, um, Bill house Nixon, make sure you bring out. Yes. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah. So Richard Nixon actually, uh, would have kind of got, again, don't get me wrong. Definitely a controversial president. No question about it. And, it was very interesting because I was getting interviewed for my first ever teaching job. I was like 21 years old, straight out of college. I think I was still in college. I think I was graduating in a couple of weeks. And um, I'm getting interviewed for my first teaching job. And the superintendent asks me in, on the front of this panel, he's like, who's your favorite president? And I'm like, oh, man, that could, like, that's a terrible question to ask. You know? Put you on the right? spot. Yeah. And that wasn't just me. Actually, the way they did the interview, there was three people there. There was three yeah, people going yeah. for that job. It's like roundtable discussions. And you're just yeah. like – and, uh, and I went with, man. You have to compete. You have to compete. I know, right? And I went with, and it was, it got worse because I went with Teddy Roosevelt, right? And then, and I went with the whole environmental. Well, you have a, you have a bit of an infatuation with Teddy Roosevelt. I do. I like For those who know, Peter draws pictures of Teddy Roosevelt and has him in his, has him in his office. So. I do. I have like a little bust of Teddy Roosevelt. Yeah, you like, yeah, I know. You have a little like man crush on him, so, but that's okay. Teddy's my man. Teddy's my man. It works. So it now, works. oh, absolutely. Now, um, so I said Teddy Roosevelt, and then he said, well, who's your worst president? And I was like, whoa. <laughs> like, I guess the safest spot would be to go somewhere further back. Yeah. Um, you always, always got to say Buchanan. Just say Buchanan. Yeah, that's what I did. I, 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 that's actually what I said. No one's going to argue that. Yeah, okay. They're like, okay. 
<laughs> the guy next to me said Nixon. And then my superintendent goes, well, actually, Nixon's my favorite president. And I was like, yes, I might get this job. <laughs> hey, you don't want to go for ones that people were alive for. <laughs> you got to yeah. go to ones. Uh, it's so funny. But all right. So Richard Nixon, guys, uh, Richard Nixon actually would have probably ranked as one of America's really not. I don't want to say I'm afraid to use the word greatest presidents because he was so divisive. But I would probably use one of America's greatest presidents had it not been for Watergate. Well, he wanted so, to get a lot done. Some of the, um, I'm sorry to interrupt you, Peter, but yeah, some, no. of the, some of the things I, that he wanted to propose were ones that come later on. He, want, he wanted a universal health care system. He wanted mm-hmm. a base minimum, um, not wage, but like salary that was going to give to every American. Yeah. These were very progressive things that he wanted to put in place. He just never had the backing for it. And then when the scandal breaks, that's it's not going to happen. But um, yeah. yeah, it was the same thing with, with Johnson too. Like what they wanted to accomplish would have put them in a different page in history, but their legacies are so tarnished because of some other decisions. Single events. Yeah, yeah. Single events. Yeah. So like on domestic front, right? He signed a new civil rights legislation, created mm-hmm. the Environmental Protection Agency, signed the Clean Air Act of 1970. Um, he boosted spending on social services, right? Passed pioneering consumer protections, mandated the first fuel efficiency rules. I mean, this guy was boss, right? Domestically. Yeah. Foreign policy. China, right? Yeah, China. Right, so saying foreign policy, right? He made the best of the bad situation, obviously, in Vietnam. Um, he would withdraw the treaty. Well, he would, or he did rather. Yeah, he but he also, ex- the, the Vietnam one is tricky. Yes, because Cambodia. Well, and so right? also remember, he he purposely was, he like sent envoys. In, and I say, when the, when the peace almost happened before, yes, he became pretty, he's like, no, he wanted he, to be the one. Like, yeah. He's like, you'll get better terms, wait. And then like 20,000 more soldiers die. Or go, oh, no, don't die, but get sent into combat of all this stuff just because he, he was like promising better terms and it still took two yep. years to get the troops out. So that's a great yep. area. Absolutely. Absolutely. He does in the war. Though. He does in the war. Yep. And then in 72, right, he shocks the world by visiting China, historic meeting Mao Zedong, right? Mm-hmm. Um, he kind of exploited the tensions between China and the Soviets um, to turn the communist powers against one another. And they kind of improved the U.S. relations with both. You know, Nixon kind of had a, a pretty good track record going into... 1970, 1972, when he was about to run for re-election. Tom, you want to kind of give us a little synopsis of what's going on here? I'll give you a little bit. Yeah, basically, like the the public, the American people don't first catch wind of the scandal. Oh, they catch wind a little bit after June 17th, 1972, was the actual break-in into the controversy. But often it was years in the making. So you had groups closer to the White House. They used a lot of these illegal means. You had the, um, right, the CRP, the Committee to Re-elect the President, that later yeah. on becomes known as Creep. Um, they wanted to ensure that President Nixon would get reelected to the second term. So they break into the um, Watergate Hotel and it was a chance to spy on the Democratic Party. We'll get into that a little bit more. It wasn't long before kind of a paper trail led straight to people in key people in Nixon's inner circle in the Republican Party. And that's when the cover up began. You had the uh, famous reporters, right, uh, Woodward and Bernstein. And with the help yeah. of their anonymous uh, source, right, Deep Throat, mm-hmm. they helped un- you know, unravel this craziness. And it that was, led by to- the way, I remember teaching that. I remember teaching that. Oh, yeah. Like, I, yeah. I, I, I kind of avoid that. And just, I said, yeah, yeah, that always gets some chuckles. Yeah. 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 Well, but it was named after the movie. Yeah. And yeah. Um, basically, this scandal, the Watergate scandal, forced the first and only resignation of a U.S. president. And it just, you know, so we'll talk about it more now, but it, it's a, it was a major event. Like we said, it's become synonymous with scandals um, today and it can all be traced back basically to the uh, mid-1971 when the Pentagon Papers were leaked and the report proved that administrations from Truman to Johnson had intentionally expanded the Vietnam War efforts um, in contrast to what the public was being told. And then this is what's getting like Nixon. He got panicked basically from this. And he formed a covert group to halt the leaks. They were nicknamed like the White House plumbers. 
Mm-hmm. And then his advisor, John Erkman, and some of these White House plumbers and former, um, included like former CIA agent um, E. Howard Hunt and um, Gordy Little. And then they basically just started going after all of Nixon's enemies and make this yep. like list of politicians, journalists, Hollywood actors, anyone he was afraid or he feared that would uh, stop his um, re-election. re-election. He harassed them. They, they gave him like tax audits, um, anything they could do. It threatened legal action against them to kind of ensure that he would be reelected. Yep, absolutely. At uh, 2.30 a.m., right? Yeah. June 19th, 1972. So a guard at the Watergate complex in Washington, D.C. catches five men breaking into the campaign headquarters of the Democratic National Party. Now, right? If you watch the um, very historically accurate movie known as Forrest Gump, <laughs> yes. um, they say that um, I'm, I'm being... Forrest made the phone call, right? Forrest made the yeah, phone call. he sees the lights in the Watergate hotel and he calls in. It's actually not true. Well, obviously not true. <laughs> but um, what happened was... <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> they, um, the individuals, they put tape on the locks so that they, the, mm-hmm. the doors wouldn't lock until they get in. The security guard walking by noticed the tape. Then he goes in, and that's when they get caught. Yes. So. Um, and the reason why these guys were there, um, which we later find out these guys were actually working for the committee to reelect the president, which was ran by John Mitchell, who just resigned as attorney general of Nixon's um, campaign so he could run the committee of re-elect- to reelect the president. So this is basically – if you start pulling and going one step above, one step above, you'll yeah. you'll make it to the president's you know overall. And they were already doing illegal things before this. Like Mitchell had a slush fund to like gather information on Democrats, pay people off. So this this mm-hmm. stuff is they were all they were bugging things way before they get caught at the national committee headquarters. That's one thing that people argue too. Is like they didn't have they really didn't learn anything from this bugging either. They didn't need to even do it, yeah. but they did it. And this well, is not so- why Nixon got impeached. It wasn't doing the bugging. It's the scandal that's not why he gets impeached. Yes. Yep. So the burglars, when they, they do it, that was actually the second time they were at the Democratic headquarters. Yeah. So the first bugs didn't work. So they were going yeah. to replace the bugs and put new ones in, in the telephones and stuff and wiretaps. And they also wanted to um, take pictures of different documents that kind of outlined the Democratic uh, Party's strategy for their election coming up. Anyway, they get, they get arrested and the press discovers very quickly that the leader of these five men that were at Watergate is James McCord, who was actually a former CIA agent. Um, and he was also a security coordinator for a group known as the Committee to Reelect the President, who's, as we just said, uh, John Mitchell, um, ex-Attorney General of Nixon's, and Nixon's close confidant was the boss. So their connection is kind of made at the beginning, but this doesn't really get a lot of play in the news uh, no, for some reason. No, it doesn't. People don't really focus. They don't really talk about it, and it's kind of brushed under the rug, or people are like, it's what is, whatever. Because they do, I, I think Nixon is asked about it, or so certain people are asked about it. He's just like, no, that's ridiculous. Uh, but basically, Nixon ordered his chief of staff, um, Bob Hendelman, to instruct the CIA to block any um, FBI investigations into the finances behind the Watergate break. And that's the beginning of the cover-up, right there. Yeah. That's the beginning of As soon as he orders them to you know, block this investigation, just, you know, don't open these books, you know, hide the records, whatever you have to do. That's when the cover-up begins, and that's when he's, Nixon's basically sealing his own fate. Yep. Uh, in addition, actually, um, the committee to reelect the president winds up um, spending uh, nearly like $450,000 in paying that to the Watergate burglars to buy their silence, right, after they were indicted for for the burglary. So it's like, hey, you got indicted for breaking in. Yeah, you're working. You know, it's almost like you're independent guys that are trying to help the president, but you don't know the president. So it's like, please don't say anything that you know anybody higher up. And they got paid $450,000 to not say anything. But then... um, Essentially, two Washington Post reporters kind of don't drop this case, right? 
uh, Bob Woodward and Carl Bernstein, and they kind of keep on plugging along in this case. Yeah, they're, they're, like, they're, really, they're really reporting on that Hunt connection. And yeah. um, they confirm with their anonymous source, Deep Throat, which I guess we get out of the way now. In 2005, yeah. it was revealed that Deep Throat was um, FBI Director uh, Mark Felt. And that was kind of yeah. suspected, I think, believe even at the time. It just mm-hmm. wasn't revealed until 2005. But I think in the, in the 80s and 90s, people in the inner, they knew who it was. Uh, mm-hmm. He doesn't formally announce it, but a lot of people realized that it had to be Mark Felt because it was information that only he would know. And he basically did it because he's like, listen, no one is above the law. Uh, even the president yep. of the United States is not above the law. Yep. You know what we didn't mention is the fact that the burglars actually on them had copies of like the re-election committee's White House phone number. Yeah, like that's the right. connection the connection could have been made very quickly. And um, it really was. I think a lot of the investigators knew. Now this goes higher up than what they yep. were saying, and they knew that, and that's why they kept on digging. If there wasn't they, it wasn't so blatantly obvious. They might have just kind of backed away. All right, it's the president. Because remember, at this time, the presidency was still not that it's not respected today. I'm not saying that, but you still had that. That's the office of the president. That's our president. It was a little bit different than it is now when you have like the politics and they're trying to, you know, the parties are trying to bring each other down. You had that, but not to the extent that obviously you have now. And yeah. I think, it, like I said, it's back, but it was just more respected then and more looked at as like a higher position. So you didn't, you, didn't really, you didn't fault them for what they did, but it was so obvious that people just kept on digging. Yep. Um, so Nixon is, is questioned the first time uh, that this is kind of comes up is in August of that same year, right? Uh, 72. Uh, Nixon actually gives a speech in which he swears that his White House staff has nothing to do or was not involved in his break-in. And for the most part, voters believe him. You know, so And you could tell that because in November of 1972, he is reelected in... Literally, by far, like a landslide victory. Hey, right? Yeah, he he yeah, he decisively wins the re-election, and then the skin is kind of weird because the skin explodes shortly thereafter when um, the burglars actually plead guilty um, in 1973, early 73, and the scandal explodes shortly after that with a lot of important um, Nixon administrators were impl- were implemented in uh, what was going on, implicated in what, yep. what was going on, and they lose their jobs. Yeah. So in March, um, first of all, in February, right? So even though, and we have to, again, this is politics. So Nixon may technically have been kind of supported by a lot of people, considering the fact that he won, first of all, he won 520 out of 537 electoral votes, captured yeah. 60, almost 61% of the popular vote. It's a landslide. He went, he went yeah, very he went landslide by far. He but, did, that's why he didn't need to do what he was doing. He would exactly. have won the election without this scandal. And history would have remembered him in a very different light. His legacy would be very different. We would be doing a totally different podcast on him, if at all. Yeah. yeah. And um, as you said, it's kind of – Senate doesn't trust him. So in February, the Senate established their own select committee on presidential campaign activities. Mm-hmm. And they are basically were like, you know what? There's way too many rumors going around about wrongdoing and corrupt financing and other things coming out of Nixon's reelection committee. So the Senate establishes their own committee. Now, uh, the former CIA agent, James McCord, who was one of the five captured, as you said, he admits, actually, he writes a letter to Judge um, Serica, who's in charge of this investigation. And he says, you know what? Yeah, I was working for some really top people, and I've been under pressure to remain silent about this case. So in March of 73, this kind of just like becomes a thing. Yeah, that's when it becomes a thing. And it explodes even more in April um, of 73, where four of Nixon's top aides lose their jobs Resign. because of um, yeah. their involvement in the cover-up. Halliman, Eichmann, Attorney General um, Clyden Dyson. The main one is the White House lawyer, John Dean, because now yeah. Dean is going to start providing some 
information, this led to a um, Senate um, committee, basically. And they, they proved, and they were able to prove the connection between the burglary and the White House and creep CRP. Yep. And, and Dean John Dean, he becomes a yeah, big time ahead. witness. Yeah. No, I just got he yeah, becomes yeah, a big time witness. Yeah, John Dean becomes a huge time witness. And on June 25th, he testified before the Senate committee um, and flat out said that, you know, President Nixon was involved in the Watergate yeah. cover up. And he said that President authorized payment of hush money to the men that were arrested in a break in. There was five, I think, that were inside the headquarters. There's two outside of the there's a total of seven, I think, that were arrested initially. Yeah. Um, but five that were in that inside that room. And you see how everything kind of leads to the next. So Dean comes out, right? Dean says Nixon knew about the cover up. And then that leads to even more investigation. They found this uh, Nixon assistant by the name of Alexander Butterfield. And then yeah. his big reveal is the one that's going to totally seal Nixon's fate when he says, oh, yeah, Nixon had a bunch of um, electronic uh, recording devices all throughout the White House. And all these yes. meetings in the White House are all recorded. Even everything talking about this cover up, it's all in those tapes. And this, yeah. is, and this is it. Because Nixon put in those tapes. He didn't, have, he didn't have to do that. He put in those tapes because of his own paranoia. And then putting in those tapes is what's going to be his downfall here because now the prosecution wants wants to hear these tapes. And I think we should also mention the fact that the first president to put in tapes um, or at least utilize them successfully was actually um, JFK. JFK had tapes inside his Oval Office. And the premise or reason for that was that he wanted to remember all the meetings for his eventual um, book. You know I mean? His eventual memoirs. And that's kind of why... After President Nixon was questioned, or he wasn't directly questioned, but after his administration was questioned by the Senate as to like why are you recording without people's knowledge all these conversations, and you know their answer was the same thing like we're doing this for posterity like this is our way. I think was it was Kennedy's secret though were they secret recordings? I uh, Ken- Kennedy's were also secret recordings. recordings. I know Johnson. I know Johnson had a lot of recordings, also. Yeah, LBJ. Yeah, the idea was like, hey, we don't want to forget what's going on here, right? But uh, Nixon's were very much secret recordings, and like you said, um, the aide Butterfield comes out with them. Now it's obvious, and the Senate wants them. But this happens in July, and then um, Nixon doesn't want to give them out, right? He yeah, says, so, he, yeah, they're subpoenaed. He says no, exactly, and he says no because he believes that. Um, the tapes contain some secret information and it's executive privilege. He does not need to release these tapes. And we should mention that this is, again, this is before we were alive, but there's a lot of people that listen to this podcast that were alive during this time. Like this is playing out on national television. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I mean, this, these hearings are the news. Can you imagine if you had, if you had social media back then? Oh my goodness. Like going on with something like this. Well, you can't see it going on with everything going on now, but obviously we, you know, a scandal like this. Yeah. It'd be crazy. Um, and then, as if things that couldn't get any worse for Nixon, we should also, like you said before, people start resigning. He starts firing people. He fires the attorney general to try to save yeah, himself. I know. Yeah. I know. But then on October 10th, Vice President Spiro Agnew, right, mm-hmm. like quits the vice presidency. Um, and he did this. He resigns. Um, he pled no contest to a tax evasion charges that actually dated from his days as governor of Maryland. Um so he leaves the presidency. He's like, that's the last thing you need. You could tell that, that you know, the castle is just falling apart. Everything's yeah. falling apart. And, you know, which an amendment that has been in the news uh, in the past 24 hours of us recording this. Um, so what happens is Nixon nominates House Minority Leader Gerald Ford to succeed Agnew um, under the provisions of the 25th Amendment, which allows the president to fill a vacancy 
in device, you know, in device presidency if need be. So Gerald Ford becomes the first and only president in all of America's history to this day oh, to, never, yeah. Yeah. to never actually be voted by Anywhere. his Ford. Yeah, yeah. By, yeah, by any yeah, American. He was, a, he was appointed to Speaker of the House, then appointed to yeah. Vice President, and then President Speaker of the House, yeah. Minority Leader, and then yeah, Vice President, yeah. and then President, and then that was it. <laughs> that was it. Or, we had this. Well, it starts when we going back track a little bit when Nixon tries to save himself by uh, dismissing the Attorney General, um, mm-hmm. his deputy, and um, Cox in the um, Sunday Night Massacre, and there's been a lot of public outcry after that. And then that's when Nixon responds with his like most famous quote with all of this: the "I am not a crook" quote yep. in um, speech yep. in November of 1973. And that's you know, one of those famous speeches, one of those famous sayings that's always just shown whenever you watch anything on Watergate. They're going to show him saying, "I am not a crook." And yeah. then by March of that year, the Watergate seven were indicted. Uh, many spent time in prison. And um, though Nixon was named, he remained unindicted. He was named in that. But he, um, in, uh... A news story gets shared by a friend on social media, or you catch a tweet that really makes your blood boil. But how do you separate fact from fiction? That's the premise behind Disinformation, a 10-part series from Evergreen Podcasts and Emergent Risk International coming this fall. Tune in to Disinformation wherever you get your podcasts. And remember, don't believe everything you read. Watergate 7, but he was not actually indicted because he's still he's still the president. And they're still waiting for this smoking gun. And that basically comes um, with the Watergate tapes are fire release in July of 1974, even though an 18 minute section was erased. Um, mm-hmm. That was pretty lot of like really controversial basically because the Supreme court said, no, we're honoring the subpoena. Um, you, the presidency is not above the law because when Nixon gave in later speeches, if you ever watched the um, frost Nixon debates, yep. he gives in these later speeches where they ask him point blank. Um, you no, know, is, are you saying that um, the president is above, you know, committing these crimes? He says, he's basically says, no, what I'm saying is these are crimes, but it's not a crime. And the president does it because he has the, yeah the government's best interest, the country's best interest at heart. So it's not a crime if the president does it. He actually yep. believed he was above the law. And that's where the Supreme Court steps in. That's where that's where really anger a lot of people say, no, you're not. You're still a oh. servant of the people. Um, I want to backtrack a little bit because this is happening in November, right? Um, mm-hmm. And then eventually hops over, you know, 274. But the one thing happens that, that happens in 73 before we get to 74 before the tapes are actually, you know, um, released. And um, and that was what I mentioned before, which was the night massacre, the Saturday night massacre. Mm-hmm. So Nixon was getting really upset about the attorney general. Um, it, at the attorney general, like you said, he fired him because of the prosecutor, um, Archibald Cox, right? So yeah, the sure. prosecutor kept on going after Nixon. Like, I want these tapes. I want these tapes, right? Give Like, I don't want just a synopsis. And they said this was a Saturday night massacre because Nixon basically went to his attorney general and said, I want you to fire this um, prosecutor and and his attorney general Richardson is like I'm not going to do that so he fires him and then he goes to the um, attorney's assistant William right um, R something I forgot his name so he refuses to do it so he has to resign then it goes to the solicitor general Robert Bork right he refuses to do it he resigns it winds up going down like. Oh, Third or fourth chain in the Justice Department's command before finally someone fires Cox. But this is, again, all in the news. So it's like 
basically Nixon's having a fit and saying, this prosecutor is going after me for these tapes. Fire him. The attorney general says no. And then down the line, people get fired or resigned because they refuse to fire this Cox guy who is, uh, you know, eventually, um, you know, he is eventually fired. And that kind of eventually, like you said, brings the House Judiciary Committee to be like, you know what, forget this. We want these tapes. And that's when the whole idea comes out. First, there's two tapes that are missing, right? Yeah. And, and then the, t- the tapes go as far back, what is, uh, 72. Yep. So now we get ourselves to like uh, almost 74. We're like late 73, early 74. And as you mentioned, Tom, the biggest tape has 18 minutes, an 18 and a half minute gap in it. And they say that Rosemary Woods, you know, the White House, uh, Nixon's secretary accidentally erased part of the tape. And, and there's no such thing as erasing 18 and a half minutes. They literally spliced it. So yeah. they like cut the tape, you know? So it's like, come on, you can't, no. Um, but it was going back and forth. While this is happening, right? So while these tapes, and, and again, Nixon's like, I'm not going to give you the transcripts. I'm not giving, you know, I'm not going to give you all the tapes. This is all you get. While this is happening, representatives of two oil companies actually plead guilty to making illegal contributions to Nixon's campaign, right? And then three more companies, Goodyear, um, American Airlines, and another airline, uh, report similar donations. So what essentially starts to happen is that by April 3rd of 1974, following months of investigation by a separate congressional committee, uh, President Nixon uh, agrees kind of quietly to pay more than $400,000 in back taxes because actually he was taking all these gifts from his companies and he was never paying taxes on them. And they said that he was paying taxes equivalent to a salary of $15,000 when he was actually making $200,000 a year, plus all those donations. So there's like, you know, Nixon's not having a good year to start. No, all his dirty laundry is being brought up. Again, things that are people really going to care about what's going on with his tax at that time, probably not, but it's now it's just piling on, right? This is just more stuff to pile on on what he's doing wrong. And it's just going to, you know, it's going to explode. And in July 27th, right, House Judiciary Committee approves two articles of impeachments against Nixon. This is a this is the biggie. That's basically oh, yeah. when they're not just saying they're going to impeach him. They're saying, like, you know what? They're going to charge him with obstructing justice and accusing him, uh, accusing him basically of repeatedly violating his oath of office. Like, things are going to go bad for him on July 25th. And then, you know, Nixon gives in another televised address, August 5th. Um, and that's you're right. That's when he gets into this whole idea of smoking gun. Like, all right. Like, well, basically, they released a smoking gun tape. It had 64 other recordings, and mm-hmm. he was forced to surrender. And um, the tape just showed that Nixon ordered a cover-up um, after the break-in, right after it happened in June of 72. So he was, he's been lying since then. This just is the, you know, the coup de grace. It's all p- people are just really you know done with him at this point. You have Democrats and Republicans coming together. The Justice Department demands memos showing, you know, what they're going to do about this? Um, the indictment for um, for of, of impeachment is being drawn up. Right? They're like yeah. they actually plan on prosecuting him even after he leaves office because it's pretty much known he's going to be leaving office at this point because um, you have Democrats and Republicans both supporting it, both calling for his impeachment, which you usually yeah. don't see, like large yeah. numbers. Large numbers. Yeah, no, the evidence was way too overwhelming. So on August eighth, nineteen seventy four, before a full House vote. Um, on the Articles of Impeachment began even, um, Richard Nixon announces his resignation from office, right? Um, and he still didn't admit any guilt. Um, he basically said that, you know, they, when they asked him, um, you know, why he was resigning and whether he's guilty, he, he merely said that some of his judgments were wrong. Yeah, and he said he wanted to spare the country the, the drama 
or the heartbreak of a president being put on trial. Because that's what would have happened. He would have been put on trial. And he was going to be found guilty. There was no way he couldn't be. So he steps down. And this is where you have President Ford, you know, almost like your accidental president, the guy that was just chosen by Nixon. So people are kind of a little weary about that already. Um, You know, Ford becomes president. And first of all, when Nixon goes, you know, to his helicopter and does the whole fa- – that's also infamous or famous, famous picture. Yeah, when he's leaving and he's, he's leaving the White House as the president, he sends his resignation letter to uh, Henry Kissinger. Yeah. Yeah, that's a very short letter, by the way. Yeah. But um, I, I have, I have like a copy of it in front of me. I have one of the books. And it says, like, I hereby resign the office of the president of the United States. Done. That's, that's it. Richard Nixon. Yeah, then he leaves and then Ford gets sworn in, I believe, right? He has to get sworn yep. in uh, officially. And then they're still debating whether or not they, they do look at it and they say the Constitution does allow them to, um, because he left office, the Constitution still allows them to um, prosecute Nixon. And there's plans to prosecute Nixon um, in Article 1, Section 3, Clause 7 of the Constitution. They do have that uh, right. But um, Nixon pardoned uh, – excuse me, Ford pardons Nixon a month later, and that ends the debate. And um, Ford, who is considered a decent man, they yep. both sides consider him a decent guy. I think history maybe doesn't give him the best, um, shows him sometimes in the best light Ford. He inherited a difficult situation. But um, he, he, he basically said, you know, it's time for the country to heal. We, we want to put it behind us, move on. But there was so much anger and outrage by the people. Remember, this is the president resigning from office, this big scandal. He's been lying to them since it happened in 72. So it's like two solid years just being lied to. Even his yeah. you know, big time supporters are just like, man, like, uh. and what's interesting about this is, remember, this is the 70s. The Cold War is still going on. So I always look at that aspect of it. And the Russians or the Soviets are watching this and they just don't understand it. They're like, all right, so your president lied and you're kicking him out of office. They're like, that's a scandal in America. Like, are you are you are you serious? The president lied and he's being kicked out of office. Remember, it's not he didn't break into the building. He covered up the break in, and you're kicking him. Like, what? And they were just like shocked. They never thought it was going to be to this extent. Like that political process to them was just like they couldn't comprehend it. I always thought that was an interesting kind of spin on Watergate. Yeah. That the Soviets were like, did he kill anybody? Even did he kill five people? Because <laughs> come on, you know, you poison oh, people. Yeah, you know, you know, they're uranium. Um, I mean, he, you know, Richard Nixon is to this day, obviously, the only president to have ever resigned from office. Uh, when, when Ford, as you mentioned, became president, when he walked into the White House and, and he gave his first ever televised um, speech, he said, you know, our long national nightmare is over. Yes, but, national it, nightmare. Yep, yep, yep. but it wasn't. You know, that's the problem. It's like he was so hampered everywhere he went for that first month. It was like, well, what are you going to do about Nixon? What are you going to do about Watergate? What are you going to do about Nixon? And he said, like, he couldn't actually govern as president, you know, and he found that to be extremely a big, or rather, an extreme hindrance. Um, so when he pardoned Richard Nixon, it basically sealed his fate as president. He was done, right? Because yeah. people were outraged that he would do that. Um, but President Ford very much still argued that the pardon in the, was in the country's best interest. Like he believed that Watergate trial uh, would take years to complete. It would keep the anger over the incident fresh in everyone's minds, and it would keep the nation divided because the nation was divided. You know, so he's like, "Look, if we drag this out, then we're not going to heal. Like, I just we need to be yeah. done. Like, all right, it sucked. It was terrible. Push it to the side and let's do it." So he actually sacrificed his own political career by doing this. Oh, he was and done. After, he had no chance of winning. Zero. And actually, in two thousand one, after more than twenty five years, right after the event. Uh, Ford received the John F. Kennedy Profiles and Courage Award for his courageous decision in the face of public opposition. Like, 
it, you know, it took almost 30 years for them to be like, yeah, you know what? What you did was probably right because we did move on from it. You know what I mean? Like this guy basically sacrificed his presidency, you know, to, I mean, think about it. Jim, he lost to Jimmy Carter. And the mm-hmm. only thing Jimmy Carter had was, look, I am complete outsider. I had nothing to do with Watergate. Yeah. You know, and, and, you know, he wins. So what are some, uh, you know, what are some, I guess, long-term effects of Watergate? Uh, like it just the some gate, fun fact about Watergate. Uh, yeah, that gate suffix basically becomes part of scandals. It becomes the scandal that all other scandals are referred to when you have, um, you know, Bridgegate right here in Jersey, right? With Chris Christie, you have Spygate, you have the Stein, every type of scandal that happens, not even politically, just in other, in other, um, facets are they always put that gate there and just you know referring to watergate that's that's giving that stamp of approval that yes this is a worthy scandal a worthy you know cover-up because it has that suffix of gate put in there yep and and i think what's kind of what stemmed from um obviously also the uh pentagon papers that were released and watergate it created this atmosphere of like cynicism and distrust in government that's that's, that's the big Um, that's the big that's the big shift i think yeah yeah, it was this idea. It's like people were actually disappointed, um, not just with the national climate, but just with their leadership. Like people did not believe their leaders anymore. What also happens after this, yeah, there's all that distrust with um, Nixon and the government. Ford is president. And then what kind of also starts to shift is the attitude that people have towards the government and their president, like you were saying, Peter. And then Sinai Live comes on TV shortly after this when Ford yeah. is president. And you have Chevy Chase doing this like caricature of Gerald Ford. And I don't think how Gerald Ford kind of um, gets that bad rap is I'm sure you've seen the videos or heard about it. Like he fought, he tripped several times in his, some of his first public appearances. Like he falls down the steps at um, Air Force One a few, a few times and things like that. So if you ever watch those early seasons of Saturday Night Live when they're just openly mocking Gerald Ford and they just have Chevy Chase falling down constantly, it's making the president in like this caricature. And it's showing this basically the satire mocking the presidency, which you didn't have before. You wouldn't mock a president like that. You have those cartoons, obviously, you know, on like in like the Washington Post and those political cartoons, but nothing to the level that you're seeing on like broadcast television that's become pretty much the staple since then. Like every president is parodied on TV, videos, one way or the other now in some way. Yeah. It's a perfect point because when Nixon became president, it was very much like an imperial presidency, you mm-hmm. know, when he took office. Like the he, was, he was the law and order president, yeah. Exactly. Like the executive branch, uh, they say primarily as a result of the Great Depression and World War II and Cold War, right, um, had become the most powerful branch of the government. And that was never the intent of our founding fathers. Actually, if you look at the initial intent of our founding fathers, it's it's written right in the Constitution. The first article of the Constitution is Congress. You know, it yeah. talks about the legislative branch, which was seen as the true democratic body of this nation, where the entire nation, each state and its people will be represented. The president is just the executive of that branch. Like his job is to basically like carry out the laws and things that Congress wants him to do or her, you know, like that's it. It was never meant to be the all encompassing. And because of, you know, great depression and world war two and and the cold war, people started to look up to the president and it kind of created this imperial presidency where it became the most powerful branch. Um, you know, they actually said a uh, known historian. Uh, you probably read. We were both read a lot of Arthur Schlesinger Jr. stuff. Um, he wrote a book, Imperial Presidency, and he argued in it that by the time Richard Nixon became president, the executive branch had taken on the air of imperial, like you know, supreme authority, right? Um, so he kind of settled into this role, 
all of that, the entire paradigm completely shifted after Watergate. It was back to like, you know what? The president, uh, we can't really trust our government. You know, we can't really trust our president. And everything then became like, what what are they not telling us? Instead of what are they telling us, what's not being told to us? What what cover up does this president have? And, you know, that all starts then. Um, Any uh, interesting facts about Watergate? well, there's, there's a ton, like I said, there's so many books, but we can just like, you know, several, several movies have all um, broke, come out since this scandal broke. Um, Hollywood has been, you know, using it for a whole bunch of movies. The, one of the most famous ones comes out shortly after, right? 1976, where all the president's men with Robert Redford Dustin Hoffman as Woodward and Bernstein. Um, you have in 2008, Ron Howard comes out with that historical drama, Frost, By the way, which is pretty good. Pause for a second. In one other episode, I said that it was Robert Redford that was in um, Taxi Driver. I want to make that correction now. It was not Robert Redford. I did receive emails about this. Um, Robert Redford? I don't remember you even saying that. Apparently I did. I meant to say Robert De Niro clearly, not Robert Redford. So right off the bat, my bad. Come on, man. Sorry. That's all right. I know I screwed up. <laughs> but you have, um, you know, um, Ron Howard, right? And Frost Nixon, which is a pretty good. Um, that, that, that's a good movie. It's a, probably under, I know it was nominated for some Oscars, but it was pretty good. Um, then you had uh, that dealing with like the series of interviews with uh, David Frost, where Nixon says that famous saying, you know, when the president does it, that means it's not illegal. Like we talked about earlier. You had 1999, you had that comedy, that teen comedy, the movie um, Dick. And, um, 1995, Oliver Stone has such a biopic called Nixon. Obviously, Forrest Gump talked about it, addressing briefly addressing Watergate in the film. I think he doesn't he meet Nixon in the film too. He does. Yeah. So it's it's just um, become part of Americana, basically. Yeah, and I mean, think of the famous sayings, right? Um, if you think of like Watergate has become such a common place, right? That I'm not a crook. Like people yeah. know that. You know what I mean? Or even Ford's declaration of our national nightmare is over, um, and obviously the suffix of gate. You know, any any form of political well, Nick, and Nixon too. Like, doesn't he um obviously the Simpsons Cather Millhouse, as we talked about before, he's named after Richard Nixon. Um the same creator also created that show Futurama. I think Nixon's head floats around in that show. It's one of them it's one yeah. of like the secondary characters a lot like that. So it just it's become part of Americana, part of pop uh pop uh, pop culture basically. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of crazy stuff too. I found this interesting thing on um the tapes. When the tapes are made public, like a lot of the strange details about the conversations that happen in the White House kind of come out. And um, in one, uh, they talk about the, um, how can I say this, the sexual habits of pandas. <laughs> okay. What? Uh, yeah, that's what they're talking about for a while. Like, can we kiss on, it's, it's on these tapes. These are 64 tapes that were handed over. Another one um, kind of reveals some anti Semitism um, that, that they say Nixon had, as well as uh, Henry Kinsler's support of um, genocide being uh, done by the Pakistan government against their um, Burmese. All right. So although he presented a facade of having no regrets, you know, it's kind of hard to believe that Nixon didn't have a like, feel grief of all that happened. Everything that got revealed, like all his dirty laundry kind of got revealed there. And, um, you know, just because he was the first president to tape all this stuff on his own activity and Kennedy did it, other ones did it, but not every single thing. He just taped wow. everything and it all came back to bite him in the end. Wow. Um, did you hear about uh, Martha Mitchell, the wife of Nixon's attorney general, John N. Mitchell, that was kind of in charge of setting this whole thing up? And she was apparently during 19, like June 1972, uh, she was on a call with United Press reporter Helen Thomas. Like she w- might have been telling some information to Martha Mitchell and, and kind of was informing you know, reporter Thomas that she was going to leave her husband and unless he resigned from you know the CRP, 
uh, which we talked about before. And then the phone call actually ended abruptly. And later yeah. on, the vet- veteran crime reporter found her. Mitchell yeah. was like super beat up. Like, yeah, so she was going to, she might have been like kidnapped. They, didn't they say that? I was like, yep. so it's come out since that she was probably kidnapped. Yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, because her husband was technically in, in charge of what do you call it? That's what it CRP. Was. But it, it's been yeah. come known as creep by so, other individuals at this point. So crazy. And then, uh, Richard crazy. Nixon, I know this, so I guess we should finish with Richard Nixon's retirement. Yeah. Um, he kind of rebuilt himself as this like <laughs> elder statesman. You know, it, it took a few years of kind of just like, hiding from the public but then eventually he kind of comes out as people sort of go into him specifically presidents actually uh believe it or not um president clinton utilized um nixon in the early time you know because nixon died in 94 but you know shortly before his death as kind of like an advisor um to foreign policy and and so did bush really they kind of none of them wanted to admit to actually have um spoken or dealt with nixon but behind the scenes, Nixon was very instrumental with a lot of foreign policy issues for the presidents that followed him. Specifically, you know, Reagan on, actually. Um, there is – what the heck is the name of that book? There's a book that talks about that, that like kind of talks about how like presidents kind of hang out and still use one another um, after these things are over. He was part of that president's club. He actually almost goes broke, I believe, right, in 75. They said he only had like $500 in the bank, but he starts to build himself uh... – back up like after that. he gets paid for those frost nixon debates like a pretty uh good amount of money yeah and yeah but he remained neutral in all the presidential races i know in the ford um all the presidential battles the primary battles between ford and reagan in 76 and later on he stays he stays kind of out of it because he knows you know getting involved that early is not gonna yeah. um do much for him but he becomes an author right yeah like you said in other statement yeah. and everything like that and well, then he said, you know, he suffers a stroke, right? April 19th, April 18th, 1994 is when he passes yeah. away. There's like a, a weird Clinton connection that I read somewhere and I, I forgot where I read it. Hillary Clinton. First of all, the, eul- the eulogy at his funeral, I think, was read partially by Bill Clinton. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. But I think Hillary Clinton was like a staff worker on the impeachment um, trial that was getting ready. Uh, for Nixon in the 70s, which is kind of ironic because, you know, they'll get to know a lot about impeachment, you know, um, themselves. But um, I forgot what the source for that was, but I found out to be an interesting tidbit. So, yeah. So, um, you know, with everything crazy going on in this current world that we live in uh, politically, this was uh, it just shows you that, you know, the saying history repeats itself or, you know, we should learn from history, uh, I think, has a lot of merit. This is a, it's yeah. an example of that, an example of how. Just a lot of times politicians can rise up and have this high and or like anything. And then they can also have these extreme lows also. Yeah. And I saw, I saw an interesting quote that like um, when uh, people are asked about Nixon, they said most Americans felt they did not know him even at the end of his career. And then Nixon yeah. um, replied at this quote, and I guess like he says, yeah, it's true. And it's not necessary for them to know. So there's so much about Nixon, the person that is still kind of a mystery yeah. that's out there. So that was interesting. Um, you know, in his uh, his funeral became the last major public appearance of former President Ronald Reagan. Um, after this, the his Alzheimer's disease was was kind of getting to such an extent that um, he would not really be seen after that. It's just literally officially the last major public appearance of um, Ronald Reagan. And then um, he Reagan would be the next president to to pass away uh, in two thousand four. 
So yeah. Anyway, um, so that's Watergate. Hopefully that helped get we summed it up as best as we could. It, yeah, streamlined it pretty well and summed it up, put it all together in a understandable way. Indeed, ha! I got my. You haven't? Did you say that last one? And you know, and you didn't say anything about this should be a podcast. I'm kind of disappointed, Tom. Well, we have to you get know? back to our, we have to get back to our roots. <laughs> we have to get back to our roots. Yeah, uh, you know, I was thinking too. Um, as I was doing research for this, I, I thought to myself, you know, I think, but I also feel like maybe we should not do so much about presidents. I mean, this one is not about a president. This is about a Watergate scandal. Scary, but, yeah. um, but I do want to do uh, one on Jimmy Carter. The peanut farmer? Think, yeah. Peanut farmer from Georgia. I think nuclear, nuclear, nuclear scientist, peanut farmer. Yeah. I just, I don't know. I feel like he, we got to just do one. Anyway, so for everybody that tuned in, thank you so much for tuning in. Guys, uh, I feel like we're getting the hang of this right now. Uh, I mean, we're we're thoroughly enjoying recording these. Hopefully, you guys are enjoying listening to them. <laughs> my brother says that I, I my voice soothes him to sleep every night. I said, "Not funny, not funny, dude." <laughs> okay. Good thing or bad thing, but okay. I, I don't think I don't know if he ever finishes these episodes. I think he just <laughs> falls asleep. <laughs> anyway, just in case you know, in case anybody needs to contact us, guys, we are on on the internet at historyteacherstalkingpodcast.com. Uh, we are also on Facebook. You could just uh, search us under History Teachers um, Talking. Same thing and on Twitter. Same thing on Twitter and Instagram. So uh, wherever you do listen to this podcast, make sure you click subscribe. And that kind of just finishes up until uh, until next week. So uh, thanks for listening, guys. Enjoy. Stay safe, everybody. I hope everyone enjoyed our podcast, and if you would like to email us, you can do so at historyteacherspodcast at gmail.com. Around 10,000 BCE, families and tribes of the ancestors to the people of Britain would arrive in the southern part of the island after crossing from land that bridged from Europe. The Welsh built houses, communities, kingdoms, and continued to survive through Romans, Saxons, Danes, and Normans. The language and culture influenced by these sources continued to change and thrive, becoming ancient and modern at the same time. Join me as we travel through the history, meeting the kings, queens, nobles, and everyday people that create and grew modern Wales from the seeds of the ancient past. Creoso, and welcome to the Welsh History Podcast.